So the NRL Supercoach All-Stars podcast, this is Barnsley, back again ahead of round three of the NRL season in 2021. Got a fantastic guest on for this podcast, who hasn't been on since the January pre-season podcast, and that is the catfish himself, Wilfred, from the Supercoach Champions podcast, Glory. Mate, welcome back. It's good to be back. Always uh, good to come and chat footy and Supercoach with you, mate. Yeah, good stuff. Um, unfortunately, your Broncos didn't get the start that you were after. I think that in the in the preseason, you said we'll, we'll chat a few rounds in, and uh, I'll eat my words on the potential spoon Broncos. But you know, I don't know if you quite got there yet. This might be a bit different if we were talking in round round five or six. I still have hope. I I know we've we're zero two, and we could be pretty bad. But I do feel like there's there's been enough positive signs that I feel. Uh, by the end of the season, we'll jag a few wins. Whereas I think if we had kept seeing what I saw last year, the back end of the last year in particular, I'd be a lot more down, uh, down on the whole teams. But, um, yeah, there, there's definitely some positive signs, a lot of work still to be done. And I guess I, I can say there's a couple of other teams that are struggling as well. So just counting on them sucking more than us, basically. <laughs> well, your boy Milford was pretty good the first week. I actually regretted. Because my early drafts, I, I had Milford in there as 5'8". I ended up getting rid of him, and I regretted it after that first game because I thought he looked good, and then he just went back to being terrible the second game. So it's a bit hard to even guess what some of these guys are going to throw up for your Broncos. Yeah, apparently I heard um, that one of the issues was neither Croft or Milford was calling plays for like large stretches of the game in, in round two. So I think, I don't know, and look, this is just me speculating, but I wonder if Milford was probably pretty pissed off at Croft for not doing his job as the halfback who who's really should be the one calling the shots, you know. Uh, I think Milford came into this year being promised by Kevy that, well, you know, you, you can play what you see. You don't have to be the one taking charge of the team and uh, organising them. But I guess if your halfback who's meant to be doing that isn't doing the job, I guess Kevy still expected Milford to step up and, you know, to care enough to, to take over. Uh, I guess we didn't see that. And, and I wonder if that's what it was because – it definitely looked far different what we saw in round one to round two. So fingers crossed it's just that and they can sort that out uh, in the training park. And it's, yeah. Good luck, mate. I've got a spare Roosters jersey for a mid-season. If you need me to mail that to Queensland, it's fine. Uh, I uh, it. <laughs> never, never, never the Roosters, mate. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay, I'll, send you, I'll get Garrity to send you one of the Crushers jerseys or something. Uh, <laughs> oh, I wouldn't mind that, actually. <laughs> Well, for this podcast, everyone, what we're going to be doing is going through quickly on the top 10 biggest negative break-evens, because obviously this round is the first round that there's going to be price changes, so it is a very big round. Uh, going to segue that straight into Market Watch, looking at the trade-ins and trade-outs that are doing the rounds for the top 10s, and then briefly go through the round for uh, players of interest in each game and captaincy options. So should be a good podcast. But before we get into that, uh, a couple of quick things. One, uh, last week's podcast, now I got some feedback from a few people and I already knew about it anyway. The uh, We had a few uh, audio technical issues on it and Billy was sick as well for last week and there was just a few things that I couldn't fix on it. So I do apologise to everyone. Um, last week's audio wasn't where it would normally be, but it was just one of those things where uh, I had some issues with it and I wasn't able to fix it in time and I just had to get the podcast out. Aside from that, 
I've been doing really well on Top Sport myself with a couple of these bets that I've been throwing out there on the podcast. So if you are going to bet, do so responsibly. But if you are doing it responsibly, then make sure it's with Top Sport because they're a fantastic partner of the All Stars podcast, 100% Australian-owned bookie. They don't just have great NRL markets. They've got some great markets for other sports too. But the NRL markets at the moment are some of the best in Australia as far as the odds that you'll get. And if you are going to sign up, make sure that you do it with the promo code SC All Stars. SC All Stars, one word. That way they'll know you're one of our listeners and they'll take care of you and give you some good stuff. Now, moving on to the podcast, top 10 break evens, Wilfred. Now, obviously the first round is really, really important of price changes. And one of the big strategies really is to, if you don't have any of the guys that have the big break evens, to try and get them in. Um, and if you do have a few of them, then maybe you can let some of them pass. Is that pretty much how you look at it with your team? Yeah, definitely. I, I think, you know, round three is always the critical round. You want to use both trades to set your team up um, for, for the rest of the season as much as possible. A lot of that's to do with cash generation. But I feel like, especially with this uh, crop of players, I guess we're looking at, there's a there's potential to balance points as well as cash. Uh, and no doubt we'll, we'll dig through some of those players shortly. Yeah, for sure. So, I mean, the first guy on the list is uh, Jaden Braley. He's at a minus 54 BE, which is huge. He comes in at 356,000, and, I mean, he's played well enough anyway without needing any selling points. But the big thing with Jaden Braley this round is that he's going to be playing the West Tigers. So, obviously, the Tigers were terrible against the Roosters. And, the, I mean, the Knights aren't exactly the Roosters, but... There's definitely some attack there. He's averaging a massive 88 across his first two games, where he scored 86 and 90 points, and he's played 80 minutes in each of those games. He has had some attack in both of those games, but his base has been 57, which has been one of the highlights, really, I think, of his play. He's run a little bit, but his base has been outstanding in the 80 minutes. So as far as Braley goes, uh, I'm one of the people that don't actually have him, Wilfred, so... I'm in a bit of a conundrum myself with this one, so interested on your thoughts on it. I wanted to get him in. I kind of wish I started with him. I mean, hindsight's a great thing. He was the, he was the hooker that everyone should have started with, and we see that now. Uh, I wish that I bit the bullet and had the balls to do it in the preseason, but I didn't. So I've got, like, you know, a Josh Hodgson and a Little there. Now, obviously, I'm not going to get rid of a Little, and in my opinion, I would advise everyone against trading out someone else that has a really high, you know, negative BE, to get a Braley in, uh, because you're going to make money out of that anyway. I mean, really, you're looking at someone who, maybe a Damien Cook, if you're going to jump off and then get him back later or something, or if you've got a guy like me, like I've got Hodgson at the moment, and I'm really torn on it, so I want your advice myself. I've got Hodgson sitting there, and you know he scored a 30 the first week, which was terrible. He scored 58 last week, though, which was a lot better. He's only got a, a 40 break even. And he's going to make some cash, and the Raiders have got a great draw coming up. So I do feel like that he's going to score some okay points. My problem with going him to Braley at the moment that I'm struggling with is that obviously he's going to cost me a trade, um, and I ain't going to make money out of it. But I, I also sort of feel, look, at Hooker, my ultimate goal was, you know, round sort of five, six or so, I wanted to get Cook in. So I feel like I can get Hodgson to Cook anyway. Maybe I'll have to find an extra 50 grand, but he'll make some money and I'll be able to do that anyway. Or I can get Braley in and do the same type of trade maybe a week earlier um, or two weeks earlier potentially. But if I do that, I'm obviously burning a trade. So it is a bit of a conundrum with those type of um, team setups. Yeah, look, I think it's definitely uh, a difficult one, especially if, for, for yourself. It sounds like you've still got a lot of confidence in Hodgson scoring well. 
I mean, I, I'm lucky enough that I was quite high on Jaden Braley in the preseason. I know we had a couple of chats about Hodgson versus Braley, uh, you know, in, in our messenger chats and things like that. And I guess, um, you know, I, I definitely leaned one way and you went the other and here we are. But I think the, the key thing is, is that, you know, if, as, as you said, you've got a plan, you know, whoever you're getting in most likely is gone by around five or six anyway. So as long as you've mapped that out and you think you've got cash coming in elsewhere, I like, I don't mind that you're going to hang on to Hodgson and skip Braley and, you know, come round six, you, you wouldn't know the difference anyway, cause you'll have Damien Cook. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. I think that's where I'd be like, well, you know, you, you, whoever you're bringing in is not a long term thing. Whereas if you're bringing in Braley to be in your 17 and, you know, he's one of the advantages of Braley is he will cover. Uh, round 13, the buy as well. So for me, I started with him on the basis that I might actually stick with him for a while. And I partnered him with Connor Watson up at five, uh, up at hooker. Uh, so I, I, I skipped a little and I have a little regret there. Obviously he's going to make a lot of cash, but you know, at the same time, he's, he's doing that by getting pretty lucky with scoring tries and back to back weeks. But I think for me, you know, my long term play is I'm actually targeting either Grant or Cook, whoever I feel like is going to be. Um, you know, more, more affordable at that time. Uh, you know, around that round five or six, but I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that via Connor Watson. So I'll have a Grant Braley or Cook Braley combination, uh, running for, you know, at least up until round 15, 16 or whatever, because I'll have Braley to cover when Cook's out at origin. So that's kind of my plan. So if you wanted to go with something like that, where maybe, you know, if you, whoever you're downgrading, whether it's Hodgson or maybe it's someone else, like an Appy who got hurt or whatever, like, I think that's what I, where I kind of map it out. Like, for you, it doesn't make sense to really go that kind of slightly sideways trade of Hodgson to Braley, given, you know, your plans have him out in a couple of rounds anyway. But if you've got longer-term plans where you're going to get him in, hold him until round 13, then I think he's going to give you great uh, value at that price, um, and he'll, he'll keep appreciating. He might spike well before round 13, but I think if you're getting him at 356k, you're not going to be too upset if you're selling him in, in round 14, 15 for about 500k or whatever by then. Yeah, and I mean, look, the flip side of it is as well, like I'm looking at it like Braley's a stepping stone. I mean, do you see any realm where Braley like keeps this up and is actually like a top three or four hooker? Because if he is, then you'd bring him in at 350 and say it's valued just to keep him because one of the things that the Knights have going for them is that the current draw coming up from this week is Tigers, Dragons, Gold Coast, and Sharks. Now, then it gets a lot harder where they hit Penrith, Roosters, Canberra, but then they go back into Tigers, North Queensland, Manly, and more importantly, they play the round 13 buy. So Braley becomes a buy number as well if you bring him in now. So if I were to flip how I'm looking at and looking at him as a keeper, or at least, you know, majority of season keeper, um, then all of a sudden, you know, probably becomes a little bit more likely that I should be going Hodgson to Braley because Braley is going to do that. But to finish off on Braley, you know, do you think that he's going to continue? He's obviously not going to average 88 points a game, but do you think that he can average, you know, 60 plus and be an actual gun at hooker? Look, I wouldn't discount it. Like, it, it's not something I actually factored in to think about because for me, he was always going to be, I'll reassess after round 13. And, you know, obviously if he's a decent price, then I might upgrade or, you know, <laughs> that's a long way away. Like, what if someone else who's a gun is cops an injury or whatever like that, that'll change the landscape again at the hooker position. So for me, I hadn't really considered it. Um, if he keeps up this 55 to 60 base um, that we're seeing, then absolutely, yeah, look, the Knights have a pretty decent pack. And if he's being given a bit of license to keep being 
creative um, out of out of dummy half. We've seen him, you know, run uh, a couple of line breaks there. And obviously, when you got weapons like Daniel Saifidi close to the line, you got a Mitch Barnett who can run great lines on the a bit wider. And uh, you know, if 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 Dan Saifidi's off the field, then you get his twin brother in who can also crash over. Like he's got a lot of weapons who can score uh, for him close to the line. So that's going to get him some attacking stats. I feel. And funnily enough, the second and the third biggest break-evens are actually hookers as well. So, I mean, Reed Marnie and Jacob Little are both a minus 52 break-even, uh, which is really interesting. Um, so, I mean, Reed Marnie's, as far as traded in goes, Jaden Braley's the highest traded in player at the moment. Almost 11% of coaches are jumping on him. I don't think we could argue with, with anyone doing that. Now, Little is nowhere to be seen on there. Now, you could say that a lot of people started with him anyway, but Reed Marnie is number six at 4.3%. I have a, I think Jacob Little, like if you're looking for cash out of those three hookers, I would always, I would go Jacob Little just because he's got basically the same BE as all three of them, but he's going to be, you know, over 100,000 less than Jaden Braley and 230,000 less than what Reed Marnie is. So I just feel like you can use that cash elsewhere. But where do you kind of stand on that? Would you put Little as, like, if you're just trying to make cash as your second hooker, he's the one? Or do you really think that one of these other guys should be the one that you're bringing in? No, definitely. If if it's a pure cash grab, then you've got to go Little. Uh, I think even looking at Marnie, like, his big scores from round one. So, you know, we know the rolling average. It's never as good um, for round three break-evens if it's around one uh, spike score for him. So I think with Marnie, he's just going to crunch the numbers, obviously. If he scores a couple of 60s, he actually picks next week, and then he starts losing cash already. So that's a, you know, he's not he's not your moneymaker, basically, um, unless you're planning to really do a quick turnover, which, uh, I mean, I don't know why you'd kind of do that when you've got other options like uh, going down for a little or whatever, but I think with Little, my concern is like if he gets an extended run, yeah, absolutely, he's going to be the the best money maker there. But how much longer? Uh, if the Tigers are, you know, I think a lot of people are expecting them to lose again this week. So if they're zero and three, and their draw doesn't get any easier, like how many more weeks does he get as a starting hooker? I'm not saying he's the the reason they're losing, but if the pressure's on Madge to to start making changes. And you've got Jake Simpkin absolutely blinding, you know, killing it in Reggie's. Like, how much longer till Little, you know, starts sharing minutes with Simpkin and then potentially gets, you know, overtaken by Simpkin as a starter? Like, that's going to blunt his cash generation, obviously. So, I think like 38% of teams have him already. So you're, you're laughing for those who already own him. I just think for me, like, I'm non-owner and I'm kind of not considering bringing him in for this reason. And I've got plenty of other cash coming in from other positions, so I'm comfortable with that. I, can, I feel you can target some other options elsewhere, uh, like you know names that we'll no doubt talk about shortly, but like Ryan James or whatever. I feel like they might be a better option than going for the little cash grab. Yeah, and like it's really if you just need to fix up your hooker and you're looking at hookers, we'd probably put Little as a number one just cash grab guy just to throw in and not play. One of the scary things with Little is that he did only play 50 minutes last last week, and that was because Embiid's back on the bench because Adam Dewey's back. Um, to your point, um, I guess the counter of it is he's not going to do worse than last week. Like I think if Simpkin comes in, um, he's going to be on the bench and Embiid will start, and that'll kind of be the reshuffle where they'll say... Madge will go, we're not going well. I mean, he's already dropped BJ. Um, Embiid could have easily been the centre that went in there for BJ. Um, and then he brings Simpkin on the bench. You know, there's a lot of ways that he can get Embiid into the starting side to 
to give a different backup to Little where he's still going to play the 50 minutes he did last week. But he scored a try. Um, and the scary part about last week is his base was only 33. But it is the advantage, isn't it, that um, if you're going for a guy that's so cheap as Little, it, it doesn't matter as much. And we sort of said in the preseason, as long as he's getting 50 to 55 minutes, he's going to make enough cash for you to flip him. So I sort of feel like you can flip Little very quickly. So he might stop making cash in another three rises type of thing. Um, but that's fine. You can kind of flip him. Whereas Braley might make more cash, but it's going to be over a longer term period. So you're going to have to wait for that extra cash, which will be fine. But if you don't really care about it, then, you know, Little's all right. He's just got that risk, like you said. And, you know, if he throws up a 33 base and has no line break try, all of a sudden you're looking at a pretty low score. But because of his low price point, if he does that this week, he's still going to make money. And even the week after, he's still going to be making money on that. So he's still going to get your 100K plus. Yep. I think the, the question maybe is, do you need him in your 17 or do you need a 17th player? And, and that's where you would have to lean Jaden Braley if you need someone who's playable yep. or if you don't need him, then yeah, Little's probably there for the cash grab. So do just not, very, do not play Jacob Little. <laughs> yeah. Agree. Agree. Um, so aside from that, you mentioned Ryan James. He's the fourth guy on the list and he's a minus 52 BE. He's a little bit interesting himself. And what I'm, what I'm finding, Wilfred, is that the cash cows for this round are very different to some of the prior years. Like some of the prior years, it was really easy where, you know, maybe half of them in the top 10 negative break evens you might have found as sort of bottom dollar type of guys and you'd have sort of three or four, you know, 173k center wings and stuff. This time around, you know, there's a, you know, a hooker that played 50 minutes last week. There's a bench forward in Ryan James. There's a lot of guys with a lot of risk. Um, so it's, it's quite an interesting first price rise for Supercoach 2021. Ryan James is a bench forward, and he's averaging 40 minutes a game, playing 41 and 39 minutes the last two weeks. Corey Horsburgh still hasn't come into this side, and he's going to have to soon. Even CHN has to come onto the bench soon as well, and neither of those guys are in there. The Raiders packed his stack, but still, he's managed to go 69 and 64 points the last two weeks, and he's averaged 39 in base, which is pretty good for a bench forward. He looks good. And at 236k, he's not that expensive, but yep. he's, he's still got those red flags. So, I mean, I've actually got him, uh, so I'm pretty happy about it. But there, there's still a realm of risk in the in the Ryan James buying, isn't there, where he might even end up out of the side or he might end up, you know, peaking in two weeks and you sort of don't make quite as much as you're hoping. Yeah, look, totally agree. Uh, I think you're spot on in that. There is a lot of risk for a lot of these negative break-even players. I just think like the differentiation between Little and Ryan James, because Ryan James is going to be one of my trainings this week. So you could say, well, why am I dodging Little when he's got so many red flags? Um, and, and Ryan James has similar numbers of red flags. I think for me, like Ryan James, he's got the dual position. He's in a position, like he'll be in my second row. So it's not a big deal if I have to, you know, let him sit there for a bit as an MPR, if he's out of the team or whatever. Uh, like it's much easier for me to trade him out. Whereas at, at, at hooker, like, you know, if there's an injury to, to my primary hooker, like it's, it's a lot harder to, to deal with a little, um, for, for me. So that's where I, I'm very conservative in that sense. And, uh, I think, um, literally breaking news, uh, Nathan Cleary ruled out, uh, for this week. So, Huge. Uh, yeah. So obviously those who have the Cleary Walker, a combination, you know, you're, you're going to know exactly what I'm talking about here when your primary option goes <laughs> down and you've got to play the backup. Um, for me, I want to have confidence in who I've got there. And, you know, a Braley-Watson combo works really well for me right now. 
So, you know, where, where if Ryan James does get dropped, uh, and sit or rotated even gets a week or two off, like it's not the end of the world. If all of a sudden I need to, to call upon him as a backup, like he can just sit there. I've got dual positions in my back, uh, center, center wing as well. So he can be much easily, uh, he can be moved much more easily for me. How do you guys like my Mitchell Moses backup seven plan now? Hey, <laughs> brilliant. <laughs> Um, and on the Champions Pod, we were plugging the Jamal Fogarty or <laughs> option. So I was plugging like... Fogarty as well. Yeah, I, I liked Fogarty as an option as well. I just say I went Moses because he he definitely had the goal kicking in that draw. But yeah, I'm I'm really happy that I went with that now because it was either that or Sam Walker as the backup um, and not worrying oh. about Cleary and uh, whew, doing all right. What there? <laughs> um, I agree with Ryan James. I think one of the big reasons I brought him in last week, and this is where. I guess people with these negative break-even trade-ins need to have a look at other factors and other value that these trades can make. So you hit the nail on the head, Wilfred. Ryan James' versatility of being a second-row forward, front-row forward is huge. you know, And that was massive for me because there isn't very many of those guys around, and I really needed to be able to have the flexibility to manoeuvre my side. So if having a Ryan James in there is going to allow me to do trades down the track in the next couple of weeks that I wouldn't be able to do without that duel, that's a big value plus. And... Likewise, just freeing up the cash. So, I mean, I uh, traded Angus to Ryan James last week, which obviously freed up a bulk amount of cash for me. And I got the, you know, the jewel in there as well. So you can't underestimate the jewel value and you can't underestimate just freeing up that cash. And because he's such a low price point, if he needs to go out of the team for two weeks and then come back and it takes you 10, 11 weeks to make 120, 150 grand out of him, I think that's fine. And you're using him as a piece to move around in your team. So he's definitely an option. And when you're having a look at the top 10, you know, he's obviously the only dual option. But aside from Jordan, Ricky and Daniel Alvaro, he's actually the only forward option there. And he's probably better than uh, than both of those guys at the moment anyway. So having a look at some of the backs on here, um, there's a couple of different groups. The guys after Ryan James, uh, your boy New and Dane Laurie after that. Both of those guys, I said in the preseason, were must-haves. I reckon every podcast and every super coach fanatic out there said that they were must-haves. But, you know, if you didn't happen to get them, I would probably put those guys um, ahead of a Ryan James um, and ahead of some of these other uh, bigger name guys just because they're so low in value. And I think that a lot of teams with that center wing are going to have if you don't have a new and a, a lorry in there, it means you've got a lot of a lot of crap in your centre wing that you've gone for, and I think that you can rectify that very quickly by going to both of these guys. So I, I would be doing it. I think on the eye test, um, I really like. I thought Laurie's been one of their best players the first two rounds that they've been flogged, and I, I also so. thought for you guys. Um, for for a smaller guy playing in the centres, New's been quite evasive, and I do feel that he's gotten more tackle breaks than he's gotten credit for as well. And I think that he's looked quite good. Uh, so I think they're great buys in the centre wing. I'd be targeting those guys if I didn't have them for sure. Yeah, hundred percent agree. I mean, like forty six percent ownership for New and fifty seven percent for Laurie. So hopefully you're not in the uh, you know the fifty four and forty three percent that don't have them. Hopefully you're smarter than that and you started them. But yeah, absolutely, they're both playable. I think at this stage, at the stage of season, definitely. I mean, Laurie could potentially be a season long keeper if he keeps up that base, and you know maybe the Tigers get get a bit of an easier draw later in the season. Like I genuinely feel he could be in my team for for the whole year. 
Well, this is the thing with the Tigers players, right? And we're going to get to another Tigers player in a little while that I'm going to disagree on with the, with the trade-outs a little bit. And uh, that's because the Tigers draw actually opens up basically in, in two weeks' time. Like, from round five, they go the Cowboys, Souths, Manly, Dragons, Titans, Newcastle, Warriors, Dragons. And they do play round 13 as well. You know, that's a it's a fantastic run. You know, you basically got one definitive top eight team in there in South and no other ones in a you know, seven-week span. So guys like Laurie are going to be great in that. And you mentioned, you know, his base has been really good. You know, overall base of 27, but his tackle breaks have been right up there, putting him, you know, in the 40s, basically, um, where he should be able to hit without scoring. So if you don't have either of them, I'd definitely put Laurie in as, as first. But if you don't have one of them, uh, I'd, I'd get the other guy in this week for sure. They're both in the minus 40s in BEs. Uh, they're both going to make a huge amount of cash. Brett Morris is another back in here, but obviously very different to these backs. Um, and I am surprised that so many are jumping on him. I love BMOs. He's he scored some hat-tricks. He's killed the start of this season. But he does cost 637000 He's got a minus 42 BE. Uh, that's great. But at his price... You know, that could dry up quite quickly. Uh, obviously, you mentioned, Wilfred, that round one score is going to drop out. That was 125 points for him. Somehow, he managed to beat it with 135 points round two. Uh, but, you know, Souths this week could be hard for the Roosters. You know, he could throw up a 40. And then all of a sudden, he's he's going to get down to not making some cash again very quickly in the next two weeks. So, a bit hard at his price point. You know, I really like him as a buyer. I think that he's looked really good. The Roosters after this week do have the Warriors and Cronulla, which are prime matchups for him. But then they do go away to Melbourne as well. I think the thing that's been most impressive for me has been very overlooked with Brent Morris, and that's been his base. He's got a raw base of 39, and he's gotten a heap of tackle breaks as well. So all of a sudden, Brent Morris looks like he can throw out a 50 without scoring a line break or try, uh, which is something that we haven't seen from him before. If that continues, you know, maybe if you're bringing him in as a season-long keeper and you're just going to leave him there, I think that's the right reason to be bringing him in now because you're not going to be able to afford him down the track. But if you're bringing him in expecting him to you know, score 100 points again this week and also to keep making money, um, I, I might rethink that particular strategy. Yeah, it's an interesting one because I know one of the strategies you can use with a guy like Brett Morris is that you, know, you, you jump on, you ride some good scores for a bit longer and then at that peak you can turn, like let's say... Red keeps going and he gets to like 750, 800,000 at, at center wing. You can pretty much split him into two guns at that point. And, you know, you downgrade him to a, maybe his wing partner in Daniel Tupo and maybe Tupo, he's gotten off to a slow start. So he's going to lose some cash. But if you can downgrade Morris to, to Tupo at like maybe 500,000, uh, and then Brett, Brett was at 800 and then you can put that extra 300 towards upgrading, you know, a peaked, um, you know, for Satoa or Tessie New for another $500,000, uh, $600,000 kind of wing. Like that, I think, is a viable option to do that. And then you wait for um, BMOs to, to drop a little because, I mean, barring Semi Radrada in 2015, like no center wing's been able to maintain that kind of stretch for that long. So, um, you know, Brett is an amazing winger, but I, I think he's not Semi Radrada in his prime, not at this age anyway. <laughs> So I think inevitably his price will drop back down. But like I think that's a legitimate plan. But I do agree with you. Like if you're going for the cash grab with Brett, it's there's a there's definitely a risk there because as you say he drops a forty 
uh, he needs to score like 70, 80 just to break even next week. So all that cash grab is immediately gone. So certainly an element of risk there, but I can certainly see why the appeals there, like that, that as you said, the base and base attack is not like what we've seen in the past. Uh, I'm wondering if that's a lot to do with uh, Kiri swapping to the right right edge and obviously a lot of ball going down that side. He is getting a lot of ball. I do need to stop for a second just to issue you a formal warning. You should know this about the podcast, but I know it's been a while. There is no bad talk about Daniel Tupo on here, okay? You should <laughs> you should know that by now. I'm going to email you uh, that warning too, so you've got it in writing, but I, no, no bad-mouthing Daniel fan. Tupo. You <laughs> and I are both big fans of Daniel Tupo. We've We've both been caught out in multiple Facebook like <laughs> groups and stuff defending his his honor from uh, people bad mouthing him. So please don't you know you know me better than that to to assume I'm bad mouthing tubes. But you know his scores so far are not that great for his price. So. His base has been great, mate. Base base attack still been there. He just needs his tries. He fell over the line twice last week, so he should have scored those. But yeah, he it, dropped the ball twice last week. It's coming. It's coming. Uh, Brett Morris, uh, it is. A, I do agree. It is a viable option to maybe go this week and have a target of selling him out round six. Certainly, the centre wing rotation option on your trades works well. Um, so you get South, but you'll get the Warriors and Sharks, and then you could trade him out for Melbourne, and, and you'll make money for that as well. So not a bad option if you're going to go for that type of strategy. Also not a bad option just to keep him for the year if you think he's going to continue, because he does look fantastic. I do agree with Wilfred. They are going that side a lot more, and he's getting some great opportunities. Um, aside from that, the last couple of guys that do make up the top 10 are interesting. Jordan Ricky, I think, is an easy one. Um, minus 26 BE, 277,000. He's coming up against the Bulldogs' edge as well that could give him some points. But here's an interesting one for you. You know, Ryan James has got twice as good a break-even. Um, he's $50,000 less almost. Uh, obviously, a lot more risk, not a starter. But if you could only bring in one of them, you know, would you bring in the bench forward Ryan James to make some more cash quicker? Or do you still believe in sticking strong with Ricky? That's a tough one. Um, I mean, like... Looking at his ownership, 57% already own Ricky, so I don't think it's going to be that many people who listen to this podcast that don't own him, if any at all. So it might be a bit of a moot point, but I, I think you're right. If you're purely going for the cash grab, then legitimately Ryan James might be the better option. If you want someone who probably is playable more often on a week-to-week basis or you can do it with a bit more confidence, then Ricky might be the guy because you know he's going to get 80 minutes each week, whereas Ryan James, you're crossing your fingers hoping he's going to get enough minutes off the bench. Yeah, for sure. I mean, Daniel Alvaro was in the top 10 as well, but I don't think anyone can really go for him with the other options around. He's only 255,000, minus 23 BE, but he's coming off 74 points where he he played an extra 11 minutes than he should have um, because Vaughan seemed to lose 11 minutes. So it was a bit of an interesting one. So I wouldn't really look at him. But the final guy on this I am looking at, and it's it's really hard to look at. I'm I'm not a huge Ben Hunt fan, but... (laughs) He's not being talked about much, and he's one of those rare breeds where he's a halfback hooker. And now with Nathan Cleary ruled out, you know, he is a prime option just to throw in your second halfback spot for Cleary as cover. Uh, 453,000 minus 35 BE. And you could throw him in, and also with the view that you could move him to hooker to make some trades later on as well. So he does have a lot of flexibility. Not hugely cheap, but with that BE... It makes it worthwhile. And one of the great things about his 95 average is he scored 74 points in round one, which was really good. But 116 points is his round two score. So obviously you're going to get the benefit of two price rises from that. 
which is fantastic. Um, and he's coming up against a manly side that's going to have to travel over to Wynn Stadium to play the Dragons. It's It looks really good on paper. I wish he was less because 450-odd K is a little bit much, but if he was thrown at 50,000, like, I would be plugging him like the number one Ben Hunt fan club podcast. Like, it would be <laughs> amazing. He's just a little bit more expensive, but that means that no one's really going to jump on him. And I have liked what, liked what I've seen from Ben Hunt so far, and Hook's really supported him uh, and been a fan of him forever. So he could be a really astute, under-the-radar purchase, particularly with people short on a halfback this week. Yeah, I think he's actually picking up a bit of steam. I mean, uh, looking at it right now, 4,000-plus trade-ins already. So there's certainly interest there. Uh, I just, I mean, it, I, I agree. It's uh, certainly on paper it looks great. It's a high-risk, high-reward maneuver, I think. And where, where you're ranked probably is one of the things I'd be wondering um, if, let's say, you're high up in the rankings. You know, you can do two things. You can either just keep going with the crowd, keep it vanilla, um, to keep yourself up there, uh, or you can play it risky and really try push and, and get further ahead. Uh, I think, you know, depending on whether you're risk averse or not, I mean, Ben Hunt, uh, at that price tag, um, playing for a team that many tipped for the spoon, uh, if not bottom four, that to me says probably not. Uh, but, you know, like I said, I'm pretty conservative most of the time when it comes to uh, you know my my decision making for Supercoach. So again, if you like to you like a bit of a punt, then Ben Hunt is a perfect option. Honestly, uh, I think especially with a lot of people having to decide what they're going to do with the Cleary Walker combination this week, I just wonder if we're going to see a lot of Nathan Cleary to Ben Hunt and back to Cleary in two weeks' time type of trades or whatever. Yeah, it's like one of the things that sticks out with Hunt as well is that I think that you can play him a lot going forward. Now, the Dragons, I don't think, look fantastic at all. But in the next 12 weeks, they do cover the first bye. And in those 12 games, they basically play uh, three teams out of 12 games that are going to be top eight teams. The other nine games may not be top eight teams that they're playing. You know, they play the Bulldogs twice in the next 12 weeks. They play the Tigers twice in the next 12 weeks. They play the Broncos, they play the Sharks, they play the Warriors, and you know they've obviously got Manly and the Knights the next two weeks. So yeah, it's it's a phenomenal draw for them, um, and the Dragons are always going to have a good draw to start the year. And I'm looking at it going, I can't see Hunt not averaging at least 60 points for the next 12 weeks, um, which is really interesting as a guy that can be a halfback hooker as well. So... I'm, I've warmed to him a lot the last couple of days that I've been looking at his numbers, and that's part of it as well. It's not just the BE and the, ma- the money that he can make. You know, He could legitimately throw up another ton this week against Manly. And then he's got you know, sides like the Bulldogs and, and Tigers back-to-back where he might lose some money maybe with a tough game against the Roosters you know, in round seven, but then he's got these plum matchups before he hits the Storm where he's going to get his BE low again. You know, he's, he really looks quite good if you go through the draw and the numbers. Yeah, look, I totally get it. The draw is very appealing. I just know with Hunt, he is very inconsistent. You know, it's part and part of him being. I think he he likes to beat up on bad teams, and as you say, there's plenty of bad teams in there. <laughs> but there's every chance that you know the Dragons are a worse team than some of these bad teams that they're playing, and there's also the possibility that 
you'd have to map it out, I reckon, because there's a chance that even if he goes, let's say, um, 100 again, and maybe he makes 100 grand in a week, uh, but then let's say he struggles against the Knights and he drops a 20 because they only score one try and he's not involved. Uh, and then, you know, that's going to tank his points uh, and then, sorry, tank his price. And then he might go up again. But like, if you're going up and down like that, that's going to really blunt your cash generation. Uh, and then come, you know, when you really want to hold on to him, like, let's say you, you plan to bring him in and then maybe you'll keep him until the buy. But what if at that point he's got a negative, you know, 120 break even, uh, sorry, uh, uh, 120 break even, uh, two weeks out from the buy? Like, are you going to just potentially know he could tank and lose a lot of that cash that you've made or do you keep holding them on? So, I mean, again, that's the risky run. Um, so that's why I said like high risk, high reward could absolutely pay off for you. Um, but I just feel like with, there's so many other options that you could take a punt on. Like, I mean, if you're not trading him at a hooker, like you wouldn't bring him in over like Jed and Braley or someone like that. But no. you know, if you really need a, a halfback option for this week and I don't know, some people tossing up like going, finding cash to go from Sam Walker up to Ben Hunt uh, as a, you know, that he would be the backup to Cleary and then, you know, be able to swap in between hooker and halfback. Um, well, I think the prime, yeah. the prime trade with that is just to go Madison to Ryan James and then Sam Walker to Ben Hunt and, you know, something like that yep. I think could work really, really well. And it's still going to leave you a little bit of bank too. So you've got that little bit of bank to kind of find the money to get the, the Madison back in the next couple of weeks type of thing? It's definitely very, very team specific. And like I know, um, you know, a lot of people are trying to fix up their center wing, for example, if, when they, if they went too cheap and nasty at the start, there's too many, um, those guys and they're like, it might actually be better off, you know, finding cash to, to upgrade your center wings instead of worrying about your backup halfback or whatever. Yeah. It's, it's, I think it's a team specific one, but look, I totally agree. It's viable to go Mato and Walker out for a, James and Hunt, um, just know it's obviously it comes with a, a measure of risk too. Yep, yep, definitely some risk there. When we're having a look at Market Watch, um, the guys that we haven't spoken about that aren't in the top 10 negative BEs that are being traded in, Mitch Barnett's number two at 8.1%. I'm not even going to talk about him because I'm livid that I spoke about him in the preseason and a few people jumped on. Obviously, I wasn't the only one talking about him, but I've been big Mitch Barnett fan and he's been killing it. We just won't talk about it, but he's a phenomenal trade if you don't have him. Um, Brett Morris was spoken about, but after Brett Morris at four, we've got Luke Keery at number five. And he's a bit interesting because obviously, again, he's a he's a dual halfback, 5'8". 520,000. Keery's obviously started on fire. And number five, most traded in player. I have been a, a fan of trading in Keery before for his runs. Um, and... One of the unfortunate things that happened to me last year is I got some really good points for him for a couple of weeks and then he got knocked out and then I got like a 14 or something and then it was obviously all over. And that's also the risk with Kiri. He's one, he's one concussion away from sitting out multiple, multiple games. But he started off with a 70 and 123 points. Uh, obviously does that with bulk attack. He's only a 21 base half, but he comes up against the south side this week. That's a harder opposition, but also his old club that he left unceremoniously from and probably is going to step up again. He will absolutely carve the Warriors and the Sharks up probably down that side as well. I do see the interest at 520,000, especially being a dual. He's averaging 97 points. The years before, he's only averaged 59 and 61, so he's been a borderline gun type of guy. Very low floor, Wilfred, for Luke Keery, but 
we've seen his his high ceiling the last couple of weeks, especially his 123 against the Tigers. He does look like he's in form, and generally players like Kiri keep running with it. So I definitely see him as an option too. He's just he's quite expensive to be investing in at this point when you've got so many other guys with big negative break evens that you want to probably set yourself up with. Yeah, look, I totally agree. And um, on the Champions Pod this week, we actually talked about Kiri a fair bit. I actually found myself defending him as an option <laughs> over, uh, I think, both um, uh, my co-host Joe and Bear. They were both pretty against him. Um, I, For me, just the fact that he swapped to the right edge and he's also playing a bit of, like, I find he's playing both sides as well, but he's, you know, he's he's primarily based on the right side. I just think, like, he's touching the ball so much, and I don't know how much of that is just because, you know, I guess the point was made, Lockie Lamb sucks, apparently. <laughs> I, I don't think he's that bad, but, like, you know, when you're comparing Kiri and Lamb, you know, obviously you want Kiri doing most of the work and Lamb's just there to help play a role, uh, kind of like what Flano did last year. Um, but I feel like Lamb's doing, you know, perhaps even less than Flano was. But, you know, like with Kiri's dominating so much attacking ball, like I just see him continuing to rack up these attacking stats. Uh, the more he's touching it, obviously, he's getting more base stats too through that. So I think, yeah, like I, I genuinely think he's in the mix for, like he's not going to take over Cleary as the number one halfback. But if you say to me that at the end of the season, Kiri was the number one five eighth, I wouldn't be surprised. I'd just be like, yeah. That could have happened, definitely. Yeah, I wouldn't be either. Um, and I'm not just saying that because I'm a Roosters fan. There, there is quite a few, and this is where the eye test and watching games is really important. Like, there is quite a few differences with Kiri this year, so I think you were right to defend him. One was obviously switching sides, but he does play both sides a bit. But other thing, too, is that you know he's he's gotten a recent contract extension where he's paid a lot of money, and a lot of it was, right, it's your team now. Uh, and, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, yeah, but he's had that before. Not really, because when Flano came in, he he came in as a guy that was expected to be not a star, but more so than what a Lachlan Lamb is, uh, and more than a role player. And one of the issues with Flano, supposedly, I'm not going to say for sure, but like, you know, we've spoken about, it's come out about his attitude and whatever. He wanted to be a bigger part of the attack, and he wanted the ball a lot more and different things like that. Whereas a Lachlan Lamb has been for the last 18 months especially happy just to be a cog in the machine and just to do whatever, you know, like be thrown at hooker and make tackles or do whatever. It doesn't really matter. So I think Kiri now truly has the the run of the team. Absolutely truly does it. And that means his usage is going to be high than compared to last year when Flano was in the team. And certainly, you know, the years prior when you had Kronk and so forth in the side. And by the way, even when Kronk was there, he still averaged 60 points a game. So, you know, it's only going to go up with the type of usage and control of the team that he has. And he looks like that he's bringing it on board in his his stride. Like, he looks like he's playing really well. Uh, And I don't see that stopping. So I think he's going to average 60s for sure this year. Uh, And that makes him a gun. And it makes him an underpriced one. Uh, at 520k, if he averages 65, which is in the realm of possibility, you know, he's six point unders at the moment and he's got a good draw coming up, so you could get a good run out of him. So I definitely see him as an option. I guess, uh, to finish off, it's just that whole balance of points versus, um, points versus, uh, cash and what you want to go for this week. And that's probably team specific too. If you don't have enough cows in your team making money, you don't have the luxury of looking at guys like Luke Curie. Absolutely. And, I guess to to what we spoke about before, Ben Hunt. I mean, I don't mind if you 
wanted to do the same matter to Ryan James and upgrade Walker to Kiri uh, for a little bit more than obviously what Hunt is. But to be honest, I think that's pretty good to have that flexibility of a dual halfback five eights like Kiri in that in that spot. So yeah, um, to me, I think that's a viable option as well. Yep, agreed. Uh, other couple of guys that are on here that we haven't spoken about. Um, so Tilly Tupanua and James Tedesco are the last couple of most traded in guys. And really, Tedesco speaks for himself. Everyone's scrambling to do it. That's great. You're probably having to make a couple of trades to do it. So <laughs> glad that um a few people didn't start with him. So Tilly Tupanua, though, 3.5% of coaches trading him in, 410,000. I don't want to talk about Satili because I've spoken about him at nauseum uh, all preseason, how much I love him, how much I think he's a fantastic player. But he has gone over for tries, Wilfred, and I guess that's the thing that's that's going to come out about him um, with his detractors. You know, he's he scored a couple of tries each of the last couple of weeks. He's got the line breaks, but he is someone that Kiri is hitting with those short balls, and he's someone who can run those lines. So I don't really care because I think that it's going to continue. His base is only 43, but for an edge back row, that's not awful. Um, it's a it's a better raw base than what, say, David Fafita had last year when he was starting. And he scored 75 and 83 points the first two weeks. Now, yeah, he would have scored less with those tries, but 410,000 with the run they've got coming up as well after this week against Souths. Oh, he's a no-brainer for me. He was a no-brainer for me to start with. I love him. I also started with him, so I'm right there with you. Big fan of his talent, obviously. My question was always, yeah, his base was a little bit questionable, but you're right, you know, especially with Kiri getting this much ball, playing on the right side as well, that all plays into Toops, um, Tupanua being able to, yeah, carry on, I suppose, uh, with what he's done. I mean, if you look at his, you know, base and base attack, he's 48 and 56. Sure, a couple of those tackle busts happen when he's scoring, but I think, you know, at his price, that's, that's still good. You've highlighted the draw, obviously, and, I guess it comes down to, you know, if you trust that the Roosters will keep attacking the way they are and if you trust that Kiri will keep going, like, I think that there's no reason. I mean, basically, if you if you think that Brett Morris and Tupanua and Kiri are all going to keep going well, then like, they, they all make sense to me as, a, as options. So whether you get one or two of them or you get all of them, uh, because I'm sure there's some Rooster fan, <laughs> Roosters fans out there whose supercoach sides are just Roosters players. <laughs> they might actually rank pretty well this year. They're in the top 10 at the moment, all those guys. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I mean... I, I, don't have a, I don't have any issue with people bringing him in as well. At the very least, he'll make money. Obviously, he's got a limited shelf life because once Corden is back in round 13, I think, he'll obviously be out of here, out of there. But, yeah, until then, I, I'd happily play my 17 each week until then. Yep. just I, I just ride him until then. Um, he's an easy 17 play. Uh I'm just going to quickly highlight a couple of trade outs and then we're going to quickly do a captaincy pick on the, on the games and what we think is going to happen. So a lot of the trade outs make a lot of sense. You know, so as far as the guns go, you know, Madison and Tom Malolo and, and Appy Coruscant are all injured. They, they make complete sense. One of the guns in the top 10, though, I'm going to question a little bit, and that's David Nofaluma. Now, he's 670000 so he's taking up a lot of money. Ordinarily, I, I wouldn't think it was... You know, terrible to be trading him if we're halfway through the season or something. But I have to ask, like, if you were if you were starting David Nofaluma, I would have assumed that you knew that they were playing Canberra and the Roosters to start with, and that could be some tough games for him. So averaging just under fifty at forty six should have been basically what you kind of expected. And you decided to start with him anyway, Wilfred. 
And the draw that they've got coming up from round five that I highlighted is, is golden. <laughs> Absolute gold from round five to round 13. And you're going to trade him before that. I just don't get why you would have... If you want to put your hand up and say, I made a massive mistake, I never should have done it, fine. But oh, I, if I started with him and I went through all that, I don't think I would sell him now because I'd be looking forward to the draw coming up. Yeah, I, I get that argument. I don't have any issues with selling him, honestly, though, because like when you've got options like a Brett Morris, like you can downgrade to Brett Morris and and you know pocket a bit of cash here. Uh, to me, that I think that that sounds really you know, that sounds really good. Um, I, I just think maybe when people who started with Nofo thought that his base would just continue. It seems a little bit down. I don't know whether that's because of uh, just the fact that they've just been smashed and all. obviously the weather as well. Like, they all play into it. Um, you know, sure, round five onwards is going to be a really great draw, but potentially he's dropped 50 to 100 grand by then if he doesn't score well this week. So I kind of understand the people jumping off. Like, if you can go from, say, a Nofo to a Brian Tor, you're downgrade. You're, you're free up 150 grand that you can put elsewhere. Or maybe you got a dual position. If you can turn Nofo into like a Barnett or a Tupanur even, like I wouldn't mind that. Um, and then with, with the potential aim of getting him back uh, before that nice run starts. So, um, you know, I, I think it's I, weird. I agree, I agree with all that. Like I agree with all – like I, I do, I'm not saying I don't think he's a trade-out. I just find it weird that – because I, I thought he was a never-start. But yeah, obviously you decide yeah. to start with him, so I find it weird that people are changing their mind after they got what they knew that they were going to get the first two weeks and have a good draw coming up soon. You know, like it's just a it's a good trade out because I don't think you should have started with him anyway. I just find it a bit strange that you're doing it before you know he's going to get a good draw. But you know, the the other guys on here, I think you know Lachlan Lamb and Avrilo, um and Charlie Staines are three guys that are sort of three hundred to three hundred thirty k that are in the give up bracket that people have sort of seen them for two weeks and are giving up on. I have no issue with it at all. I've seen a lot of people still try and defend Staines in particular. Uh, but to me, it was always at 300k going to be too much money. Same with Avarillo. Uh, and we've seen enough of Lamb to kind of know what's going to happen. I said in the preseason, Wilfred Staines is just as likely to lose cash the first price rise as what he is to actually rise. And that's probably going to happen. Um, I can, you know, you can go down from a Staines to a new and, and make 60 grand out of it to put somewhere else you know I all those guys scream it's fine to give up to me but how do you feel about giving up on those type of guys this early on yeah look I've, I've been I, I think you and I have always disagreed on stands I was always in the camp of you've got to start with him uh just because of the scoring potential I, I obviously you're right in that he was always a chance if he doesn't score any tries yeah um that that he could but if I told you the Panthers would win rounds one 24 nil and 28-0 for rounds two against the Cowboys and the Bulldogs. And Charlie Stans doesn't score a single try in both of those games. Like, like I kind of think you'd probably, you know, you're a betting man. Like, I reckon you probably would have put Charlie Stans anytime scorer on both of those games, right, if you knew the scoreline. Yeah, look, I would have I would have expected him to score in one of those probably, yeah. So I think that said, like, for him to, to miss out on all of the tries they've scored is pretty unlucky. Uh, especially with the starting starting draw that they had, You're like I'm not expecting any anything this week, but 
you know, we saw some teams score, like their right side winger scored like three, four. I think Ikevalu scored five tries on the, on the Cowboys' left edge at one point last year. So Staines could have easily done that given how, you know, he scored four tries in, in his debut. Like that's, I think that was the potential that I didn't want to miss out on. Um, now obviously he's going to play the storm this week. So I get why people are trading him out. To be honest, though, like I kind of feel, if if you've got other options to trade out, I'd look there because at some point he's going to get some, you know, a double or a hat trick even that could happen in in round four against the Seagulls where Brad Morris got a hat trick on them, uh, and it could be like that could be stands basically. So I just think if you don't trade him out, you don't lose the cash. So if you've got other options to trade out, I'd probably prioritize them ahead. And you know the other names you mentioned there, like the Avarillos and. Guys like that, yeah, absolutely. They would go ahead of me, uh, ahead of Staines for me. Um, I just, I don't see him as a must trade out. I mean, if you've got the luxury of pretty much nailing your starting team and Staines is your biggest issue, then yeah, trade him out for a week and maybe bring him back after. There's oh, uh, no way I'd be doing that. You're, you're uh, much when he's, when he's got the negative break even is what I mean. Oh, right, yeah, literally sure. round four. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, I will throw it at you that if he did score one of those two games that I expected him to as well, um, he'd still potentially only be averaging you know 38 points a game, 40 points a game. So he'd still not be making any money or making 200 bucks or something. So even if he got one of those tries, and I think this is a like, this was a thing with him. He doesn't just have to score a try. He has to score tries... And that's why he went well last year, because he was scoring multiple tries. And yeah, he will have some of those this year. I just think at 300000 you can't hold that um, type of money there so early on when you've got so much money constraints to try and wait for that to happen. Which, you know, maybe he'll score a try against Canberra, but score 40 points, and it's really not going to make a big difference in the scheme of things. And you're waiting until, you know, round 10 for him to score a double or a hat-trick. You know, it's too much of the season with a 300k player, but... He'll probably put egg on my face and really everyone's and everyone will bench him or trade him this week and he'll score three against Melbourne or something ridiculous. So it's probably going to well, happen. Maybe not with no Cleary, right? <laughs> oh, with no Cleary, yeah, probably not. I should cancel my um my top sport bet for uh, Penrith to win <laughs> somehow. <laughs> good chat, good chat. Um, all right, so quickly going through the games, um, having a look at the matchups and, and who we kind of see as a captaincy option. So the first game of the round is obviously the Panthers versus Storm. Um, Nathan Cleary has now been ruled out, so that's the only change aside from Appy being gone with a broken wrist. That's going to be pretty huge. We need to wait and see who's going to replace Cleary. But for the Storm, they've got Kafusi out for a couple of weeks, which should have probably been more. Tom Eisenhuth comes in um, and Smoothie drops out of the 17 with probably Hines will end up on the bench. So with this Storm versus Panthers matchup, obviously it's a lot juicier now for the Storm, being that Penrith have Nathan Cleary out. Uh, as far as players of interest in this one, um, I, you know, I even saw a couple of people talk about uh, on Twitter, which I think you were on as well, about potentially um, benching a, a Pappenhausen. Um, <laughs> I, without Cleary, I mean, oh, the Storm look like they should be big favourites now, I reckon. Uh, and guys like Pappenhausen and Munster should probably have some pretty good games. Yeah, look, I think I have to agree. Um, I was back in the Storm to win anyway, actually. Uh, the Storm... I know, you know, they're obviously missing some troops, but they rarely lose twice in a row. And I was kind of thinking um, that they, they were going to come out pretty strong. But yeah, I definitely think they're likely to to get up on the Panthers this week. Um, you know, Pappenhausen scored 78 in the grand final last year, so super coach wise, I think he would have been fine regardless 
but yeah, certainly no clear he's going to help them there for sure. Do you, would you VC um, either of those Storm guys being the early game? Uh, no to Pappenhausen just because I'm captaining Teddy like every week. <laughs> oh, of course. <laughs> uh, but yeah, look, I think Munster's a legitimate option. Uh, I tend to target weaker teams still. Like I think the Panthers will still defend quite well regardless. Uh, so yeah, I wouldn't, I'd probably try and save my VC for someone else. Yeah, and as far as um, opportunities go and, and players of interest, uh, what I will say in the Panthers' defence is, uh, you know, the Storm haven't been that great defensively out there. Um, like, especially on that Remus Smith side, I think it was. They've led in quite a few tries, haven't they? Yeah, absolutely. And uh, if I actually have the vice-captain and Brian Tall at the moment, hoping he goes over for a double. Yeah, Tall still looks like a fantastic buy. A lot of people might be disappointed last week because he scored 55 but that was just in base base attack. Like the guy had like twenty two runs or something. Like I I brought him in last week, and I wasn't disappointed that I didn't get you know the try line break out of him and the hundred points because in those conditions for him to throw up that, he's primed for a breakout year, um, and he could go very well against the Storm. In fact, for top sport betting, um, he's paying over two dollars to score a try, and even without uh, clearing in that side, I think that that's a fantastic bet for this week. I do think the Storm will win, but you know the Panthers will put up a fight. Uh, it's not actually being played in Melbourne. Uh, next one, Dragons versus Manly, mate. So this isn't quite the blockbuster that the first game is, but <laughs> the Dragons don't have any changes since they got a win in the, in Townsville. But for the Seagulls, really interesting. So Schuster's come in, named to be the starting edge back row after Andrew Davey did his ACL, um, and with Curtis Siren and out as well. It's one of those things where you know, it's. I say to so many people, and I said it with Davey, like, surely you want to wait a week and see how he goes as a starting edge or see what Des does with the minutes. You know, those are the type of guys that I really don't want to trade in until I see something. And when you have a free look, it's, it's prime just to do that. It is bad luck that he did the ACL, but, I mean, you know, I would have been looking at him for this week. He's out, um, and he killed super coaches last week that brought him in. Schuster is a trade-in. Now, you don't have to do it this week, which I think is the main thing, Wilfred. He scored 46 points on the weekend in his 76 minutes playing in that edge role. There was some quotes from uh, from Des Hasler that maybe Brad Parker will find himself there, though. And, you know, Desi must have been listening to me in some of the Facebook chats and stuff, I think, because I've <laughs> said for yeah, it's been a better part of two years, Brad Parker, they're in love with him at centre. If they really, really want to use him, probably his best spot to play is going to be edge back row, and that's probably going to be his future, and they should play him there. I actually think that Parker's going to end up in that edge back row spot. Yeah, look, I think I agree. Um, you know, Desi loves a late team, teamless change, and look, looking at the reserves, I mean, Funa, Harper, either of them can come in straight into fullback, Dylan Walker to centre, Parker to the edge, Schuster back to 14, so I definitely wouldn't be trading him in. Yeah, and look, it's going to be pretty gross, but Brad Parker, in, in a couple of weeks, because he played centre, averaging 31 points, in a couple of weeks, you know, you could get him for 250k, and if he's a starting edge that's going to play 80, that could be a, a, a left field option right there. But It just it just screams, uh, this has gone back a few years, but Nathan Green, we all fell for that trap. Centre uh, week, rookie, starting edge back rower, scored like 25, 26, playing 80 minutes on the, on the edge. That's just the vision I've got for Brad Parker. So. Yeah, but Brad Parker's such a favourite. He's he's going to play there. Look, this is a 
an interesting one as far as the captaincy vice captaincy goes because both these sides can be pretty bad. So I think that there is an argument that if you own DCE and you're going to keep riding him, you know, this is the type of game where he could really step up and he could be a really good VC option. Uh, I don't mind that one. Uh, likewise, if you wanted to go complete shot in the dark, uh, I don't mind if you've got Ben Hunt to go a VC on him this one. If you if you want to go for some big upside sort of pod VC, um, he's obviously coming off 116 points last round, Ben Hunt, which arguably could be uh, an easy loop um, depending on your AEs and stuff. So yeah, I think those two for this one could both score a lot of points. Yeah, look, I think they're both um, good shouts. Uh, the only one I'll throw in there is Zach Lomax. I mean, if you own him, I think a lot of people probably didn't start with him, but uh, that that left edge, um, Sully and Garrick, uh, I mean, sorry, not Sully, um, Parker and Garrick, just been gross. Like, the number of tries scored down that uh, by right-wingers and right-centers, I think. So Lomax certainly could be a VC option in, uh, as well. Yeah, I don't know what's going to happen in this one, but um, I'm going to go for a... A Ben Hunt try at $3 plus on bet of the week. Um, I'm not going to try and bet on who's going to win this one because oh, I think it's an absolute toss-up. But the the big game is really the next one anyway, the Rabbitohs versus Roosters. Uh, we've got uh, Josh Mansour being recalled, and Adam Reynolds has been named, but he's in a bit of doubt. Um, we do want Adam Reynolds to play because we want... Um, we want those Roosters' edges running at him. <laughs> so <laughs> please be in, Adam. Um, Roosters news... It's really all about Angus Crichton returning. Um, now, Victor Radley's returning, but he's on the bench, so he's not really going to be an option, and, and that's pretty much it as far as the changes for this one. Really interesting game here, Wilfred. Now, obviously, the, you made the Teddy comment that you're going to captain him every week. This is a bit of a harder game. Uh, obviously, the, the Rabbits are, are looking quite good. Uh, it is a grudge match of uh, you know the, the Latrell versus Teddy match up as well. Uh, I do find it funny that the media and the general public fell for this, jumped on, you know, Damien Cook saying that Latrell's a, a better fullback than what Tedesco is because <laughs> I, I already made the comments so many times like if you ask a, if you ask someone whether their teammate is better than their opposition, nobody's going to say, "Oh no, look, Latrell's not as good as Teddy." You know, no, yeah. there's no way Damien Cook's going to say that. He got us directly. Of course he's going to pick Latrell Mitchell his teammate. Like he's not going to go back to training and say Latrell, oh, yeah, no, I think you're shit. Like, Teddy's heaps better than you. Like, <laughs> I just find it funny that people jumped on that. You kind of, you kind of, it's, it's like that meme, right? You, right now you're picturing Michael Jordan with Teddy's face on it and saying, I took that personally. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's all I needed. Yeah, um, but look, Teddy's got 103 and 72 on the bunnies last year. So I just, I think he's, he's just he's so involved and it seems like he's not even trying so far. So, I kind of think, you know, the Roosters versus Rabbitohs is always a, a grudge match. So if Teddy puts in this week, I could see, yeah, I could see a big game. So look, uh, as someone who doubted Teddy uh, last year, I'm not doing that. I'm just going to back him in. <laughs> yeah, I, look, I think that you need to, and I think that he's an obvious um, captaincy choice again this week. Uh, I am hoping that a fair few people will drop, drop off, though. So that might make it a bit more valuable this week, because I think they will find that the the captaincy numbers on Teddy might go down slightly with people trying to be a bit tricky and look at this house matchup uh, a little bit too closely. But uh, other guys in this one, I mentioned that I'd like Adam Reynolds there so the edges can run at him. You know, Angus Crichton, you know, obviously playing against his old club. It's it's one of those ones where, you know, I'm tossing up not getting him back this week because it's a bit of a harder matchup. 
but I am scared that because it's South, he's going to really rip in. I think, yeah, it's always tough, right? Because you know that that they're going to go hard at each other always. I kind of feel, and look, you might be able to shed some more light on this. I heard some rumours like that Angus was being considered as a potential future captain of the Roosters uh, once, obviously, you know, the the current ones have moved on. Is that just absolute rumour or...? I think that it snowballed from him being part of the being uh, going to be a part, big part of the leadership group. Right. Because um, I was thinking, if he wants to make a statement, that would kind of you know endear him to potentially the Roosters faithful for a potential future captaincy audition. Like this would be one of the games you'd really want to turn up and rip in. I can imagine after a week off, he's going to be itching to to get out there. So I can see a huge game from Angus this week, actually. Yeah, I'm I'm super scared to take the option to not get him in. So I'm probably going to end up just grabbing him back in because I'm too worried about it. Um, he has played well against South before. Um, with As far as the work rate, he's had a really high work rate um, against them. So I think he will. I'm actually really excited to be playing Satili on the other edge as well. I mean, look, one edge you've got Cody Walker, the other edge you've got um, Adam Reynolds, and both of them have struggled at times. And I think the Roosters will target both of those edges hugely. Um, so both of those guys could score a try in this one, potentially. Yep, I have to agree. I mean, when you've got Koloa Matangi and Jaden Sua as their kind of, you know, edge partners, it can certainly make sense why uh, they're, they're both halves are struggling in defence. Yeah, I am going to go for the Roosters this week. Shock surprise there for everyone. Um, but $1.65 for the Roosters on Top Sport. That's my Top Sport bet of the week. Just take them head-to-head money line. I reckon they're going to get there. I do think that there's a chance, because I, I did see some... I did see a little bit of an underbelly for South in that first game when they played Melbourne. They uh, they got blown off the park the first 20 minutes, and I do think that the Roosters are in the type of form and the type of side that can do that to them. So I actually think the Roosters are going to put on some points against South. I think that they'll do well. Whether they you know manage to defend a lot of the attack that South could have remains to be seen, but I, I like the Roosters for this one, Wilfred, and I'm, I'm sticking C on Teddy as well. Yeah, I'm 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 with you as well there. I I can see this being a high scoring game actually, because the way that the, the Rabbitohs are attacking, like it's just yeah, it's pretty hard to defend when you've got that many weapons floating around. So I can see it being a bit of a shootout, but I, I do lean towards the Roosters for sure. Raiders Warriors is the next one. The big Raiders news is um, Jared Croker's back, so Sebastian Chris is gone. That's probably a bit annoying because it. You know, you you kind of when you're really competing for overall, Wilfred, you want other people to make mistakes. And I think some uh, some casuals might have just jumped on Chris for a week and then got one price rise, and then he's out of the team. So I sort of wanted that to happen. Look, having said that, you know the 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 types of super coaches who might be making those types of mistakes aren't likely to be at the pointy end anyway, right? Oh, you'd be surprised. I think that there's um, it, it's definitely the type of start that a lot of you know you see the team of the week, and particularly the team of the week in round one. Yeah, they basically only had like 18 players to play. Yeah, that's true. Um, you know, those teams sort of can really gun for it the first few weeks and then drop off, and they're the type of teams that do this sort of stuff. For the Warriors side, um, obviously Harris David has gone uh, for a while and replaced by Sean O'Sullivan. Um, Siren's in some doubt. We've got Bunty Afoa starting at prop because Tanoa Brown's out for a couple of weeks. So a couple of changes for the Warriors side. Look, I'm... I'm interested in Sean O'Sullivan. One of the questions that is coming up now is that people are wondering, you know, do I jump on Sean O'Sullivan early? Because obviously with no halfback to play, is it worth jumping on him if he's got job security? 
Turner's been spoken about a fair bit. O'Sullivan's, you know, 223k, so he's relatively cheap uh, to get. Oh, sorry, 231k. He's relatively cheap to get in as a halfback replacement that you can play this week instead of Cleary. But obviously, hasn't played a game yet. Bit dangerous. You'd probably rather wait and see a couple of weeks. But if you're desperate, Wilfred, is that the type of move that you think teams could be making? I probably wouldn't. Um, just, I mean, I know it was for the Broncos last year, but played 80 minutes, scores of 14, 28, and 45, and the 45 had a try assist in there. So, you know, there's a chance that you could burn a trade just to get probably what your AU might have scored anyway. Yeah, I mean, I guess it's more if you think that he's going to be a long-term option and he can make money in sort of the next 10 weeks or something, then, then maybe he might become an option. But I wouldn't want to bank on that he's going to stay there. Um, although I do rate him as a player from when he played at the Roosters in the, the junior grades, he was quite good. So I wouldn't be surprised if he works out. It's a bit of a high-risk play for this one. Raiders did it pretty tough last week against the Sharkies. Um, they they have a couple of guys like Hudson Young that keep standing out, and I keep waiting for Hudson Young to kind of fall over, but they don't really have players coming back in that I thought would, would be, like... Corey Horsburgh, I thought, would be back in now to really stuff up the rotation, for instance. Hudson Young's still gone 79, 75 points the last two weeks. I've seen a lot of people jumping on him for 474k, but he has scored a try the last couple of weeks. Horsburgh and and CHN, again, not named in this side, uh, against the Warriors at GIO Stadium in Canberra. I'd like to say that he's not going to score again, Wilfred, but he he could score again this week. (laughs) He could. I, I mean, I've, I wasn't a fan of Hudson in the preseason for the same reasons you mentioned. You know, we only, we thought, uh, the horse and CHN would be in sooner rather than later, but obviously, um, Sticky is punishing them and really making them work, work their way back into his good books, uh, before he picks them for first grade. I just think, I mean, the other thing with Young is he is, he's got a bit of injury cloud over him. He obviously got hurt last, um, in round two. And there was some chat that he might not be available for this game, but it seems like he will play. I wonder if that's going to eat into his work rate and, you know, if he cops another knock or gets twisted the wrong direction, he might have to go off early. Like that to me kind of just says, look, just stay away. There's plenty of other good options like your, your Tupanua's or you know, even someone like a Josh Jackson, but cheaper than Young that I would probably look at, uh, you know, rather than counting on him to score tries every week. Yeah, look, he started off the season on fire and might continue, but I, I think it's too much money and too much risk compared to the other options as well. Top swap better the week for this one. I think that the Raiders are going to win well. So minus 9.5 points, you can get it at about $1.78 at the moment. That's pretty good money for the Raiders to win 10-plus at Geo Stadium. Um, and the you know I think the Warriors are going to be pretty under strength. Missing, missing Harris DeVito, I think, is going to hurt them. Yeah, I definitely agree. Broncos Bulldogs is the next one. Now, no changes for your Broncos, Wilfred, despite what's happened. Kevy's sticking with the side. Uh, for the Bulldogs, Raymond Fatala Mariner came in the starting side last week at the expense of Waddell, and now he's got a broken foot. So, really unlucky, but it sees Waddell come back in, although Joe Stimson is in the reserves, so maybe they uh, share some minutes on that edge spot as well. Mate, no changes for the Broncos. Did you really expect that from Kevy? I thought there would have been some. Yeah, I'm wondering if there's still potential for changes to happen by game day. So, you know, the chat was dead and might find his way onto the bench. The chat was dead and was going to replace one of the two halves. So who knows, honestly. Um, as, as for like the changes you'd make, that's probably the, the, the only main one I'd do. 
there was some chat. Corey Oates finally swallowed his pride and decided to play in the back line again. Uh, and he played, he played on the wing in Reggie's and scored, like he had a great game apparently, <laughs> scored a trial too. So I just, yeah, I don't know. I just feel like the Broncos just need uh, a few things to go their way. And once they get a bit of confidence again, I think that'll, that'll shake things up a fair bit. I honestly think Did and Milford needs to be the, the halves pairing. Uh, and that'll change, uh, I think, I think it would, it would start changing a lot more about how they, like, Dearden's unlikely to let what happened in round two happen. Like, he's, he is your more traditional hardback. He will call for the ball. He'll, he's not afraid to boss, uh, the team around. So that's why I just think he's such a good pairing for, uh, for, for, for Milford because, you know, Milford, like, it's not natural for him to direct and, and organize and, like I've said this in the past, so I'll, I'll stop before I go on a rant again. But uh, I just think, yeah, let let Milford play the the, the instinct sorry the instinctive game that he gets to play. I've compared him a little bit to what um you know I'm not saying they're they're comparable as players right now, but what Nathan Cleary does for Jerome Luai, Luai doesn't have to worry about anything. Like he just gets to play off the back of everything Cleary does. Mm. Like if you give that kind of freedom to Milford, um you know, and and he's got not not saying Dearden's anything like Cleary, but if Dearden can just kind of play that Cleary, Cleary role, it would make a huge difference to how this team attacks. So, yeah, and unfortunately, just waiting for Kevin to realise that, and hopefully it can it can click later in the season. Yeah, well, you're also expecting Kevin to realise how to coach, and that might take a bit longer. <laughs> but you know, <laughs> stranger things have happened. Yeah. Well, yeah. Look, I'm, I'm going to say that, but the top sport bet of the week for me on this game is um, the Broncos to win $1.73. It's pretty good value. Uh, I don't think the, the Bulldogs are that bad, but it is at Suncorp Stadium, and I think the Broncos are under a fair bit of pressure to win. So I think you'll get it this week. The one player I'll highlight in this game before we move on, Tavita Pangai, uh, becomes very interesting. So uh, Madison to Angus Crichton is um, a little bit more money, and if you wanted to make an upgrade, it might be hard for you to do this week if you were planning on doing something else. Um, like for me, I wanted to go, you know, Leo to DePaulo, but I did have enough money for Pangai. Now, he's such an enigma, this guy. He's playing the Bulldogs this week where he could rip in 79 points and 100 points the last two weeks. So he's averaging 90 across his first two games. 49 raw base in that, which is fantastic, but he's averaging like almost half a dozen offloads the way he's been going, just killing it with the offloading. 39 minutes round one was a big issue for me for 616,000 dual. Um, it was too much money. But then he played 52 minutes against the Titans. If he's playing minutes in the 50s, especially if he can get that 55 to 60, that's a lot more appealing for Tavita Pengai Jr. Wilfred, I was almost going to buy him this week. But then after this week, I saw that his draw was Melbourne, Souths and Penrith the next three weeks after that. That put me off a little bit. Uh, but he does only have a BE of 32. He is a bit cheaper than the other top second row forward guns. Um, certainly he's a massive front row forward gun at the moment. Where do you see the Enigma of Pangai this week? Because I, I can see him scoring 75-plus again this week and being an absolute gun, but I'm worried about buying him for the three weeks afterwards. I really, really wanted to start the season with him. This is exactly what I expected to see from Pangai, basically. Um, the minutes, you, you're right, 39 is really low for round one. But honestly, I think that was more to do with the injuries. Um, we, we had to burn... And a lot of the interchanges um, on, on replacing injured guys who didn't return. So we only had, um, you know, 14 for most of the second half. And that just made a huge, you know, it meant Kevy didn't, couldn't have the luxury of, you know, using up all the interchanges too early. 
So I think he held like the last one right up until the end. And then that was the, the last interchange was, um, for Pangai. So I just think that's probably contributed to why, uh, his minutes were so low. Uh, I expect 45 to 50 most weeks. And, and so like what we saw round two is more, uh, typical of what I think will happen even after Payne Hart gets back. I think Pangai is too important to the team as one of the forward leaders. And we know he's supremely talented, just, um, you know, physically. Mentally, he's still got, you know, a ways to go, but I think we've seen some positive signs so far this year. There are a few moments in, in, in round two where maybe the old pen guy probably is already on suspended <laughs> for this. <laughs> week. And it's I thought pretty he, close line. Yeah. And I think the, to his credit, he, he pulled back and he calmed down and he got back to playing footy. Uh, so that I think that's a positive sign as a Broncos fan. I'm not saying that just because I want to, you know, I, I'm, I've always been a big pen guy fan. So, um, Look, I don't, I don't blame people for being interested. I can see this continuing. He, um, when he plays in the middle, he doesn't need the bulk minutes. He's just, uh, and I think that's kind of what he's been given the directive to do. He's got that, um, he's like a hundred miles an hour every time he steps on the field when he's playing in the middle. And I think that's what, um, you know, the instructions to him have been just go hard. We'll just keep interchanging you once you're out of gas, give you a rest and you can go in, you know, I think he tends to play three stints. Um, and in short bursts, so that's probably what we can expect more of moving forward. I considered a crazy trade of um, Madison to Angus, which isn't the crazy part, and Welsh to TPJ, just because it was probably the only way I could get TPJ in. Um, <laughs> sacrificing a Welsh that started pretty well, averaging like 58 points a game. And I'm still considering it. I think if the draw was easier, like Mel- are you concerned about Melbourne, South and Penrith after this week? for someone like Melbourne, Angus? yes. Um, um, South's not too bad. I think for some reason, even though Souths are a good team, I, I don't think they stop your super coach scoring. Yeah. Uh, whereas Melbourne and Panthers, they were the two hardest teams to for any any position to score against, basically, yeah, in last year. So that's my concern out of that draw. Um, but yeah, if you're happy to kind of ride through it, like the, the, at the at the end of the day, you know, his his scoring comes from his you know his tackle busts and his offloads, uh, and I think the Storm are really good at wrapping people up and preventing offloads. So that's certainly one of the concerns there. Um, yeah, look, I think you're right. The, the, the three games there are going to be tough, and I probably would stay away from him for that reason. But obviously, if you started with him, you're just going to keep enjoying his craziness, and he's always good fun to watch when you own him. Oh, I would have loved to have started with him. Uh, moving along, the next game is the Eels and the Sharks. Now, with the Eels, uh, Ryan Madison is out. Obviously got concussion last week. He's replaced by Isaiah Papali'i, which is quite interesting because he's been killing it. I do think that Papali'i is a great, great draft option if you want to try and get him in your side for draft. That could work out really well. Um, now, it could be a chance that Ray Stone sticks on the bench, which means that Reed Marnie becomes an even riskier buy because he might get 80 minutes. We've also got uh, a few Sharks changes. Um, Hiroshi was hooked at half-time last week by Josh Morris. Um Connor Trace is now the starting centre, which is interesting. I think it's actually a pretty good move by Morris. The rest of the side's the same, although rumours that Fafita might actually come into the, the 17 because he's on the extended bench, so that could happen. Obviously, with the Eels, Wilfred, Ryan Madison's a big talking point. Now, he could just miss the one week, but we saw where he missed a few weeks last year and it was a week-to-week proposition and it was just so much money to have on your bench. A lot of people are trading him out. I don't really see any issue in getting rid of him this week because, you know, there's too much likelihood that he's out at least sort of two two more games or something or one more game after this. 
if he's not, then you can try and get him back. He's going to have a high-ish break-even um, of around 120, I think it is. So you can, you know, not get him back straight away and maybe get him back a little bit cheaper. So it, it makes sense to me to be trading him out this week. Yeah, I mean, I started with Matto as well, and he was the guy I was considering punting for Pangai, so I was uh, <laughs> I have slight regrets. But uh, the, the thing with that, I think, like, I didn't like what I saw in round one, the way they were using him. He ran a lot of decoys, obviously moving to the left. That is That was more concerning to me. Um, and then you know, I wasn't going to punt him because he still scored pretty well, but I did have some reservations. So this way I'm happy to, you know, to get rid of him. If he misses one week, two weeks, whatever, it'll, it'll allow me to you know, watch him as a non-owner and feel a bit more confident about bringing him back in once his price um, drops down and equalizes a bit. Yeah, I don't have any reservations as such. Like, I know what you're saying, but he's still playing with the same half that he was on the other side, and he still scored 67, obviously. So I was still comfortable enough that he was going to score in the 70s as an average for this season, had a good draw coming up where he's going to score some points. I'm going to trade him out myself, though. Um, and there's some really interesting matchups in this one. I mean, I I think that the Sharks played pretty well last week, but I still expect them to get smashed by a few teams that are on fire. This one... <laughs> It does look like the Eels could put a really good game together this week off the back of last week. I am someone who owns a few gun Eels. Um, I'm getting Paulo in this week for sure. He's been killing it, obviously, with the tries, but even with his line, his offloads and everything have been great, so I can't wait to get him in. But I do already have Mike Acevo and Clint Gutherson and Mitchell Moses as my backup half. <laughs> Happy with those guys against the Sharks this week. Uh, call me crazy. I think the Eels can smash the Sharkies this week. And uh, my top sport bet of the week is definitely for my Casivo to score a try. And, you know, you'll get pretty good money for that one. Casivo is $1.87 to score any time versus Sharks. That's a fantastic bet. Wouldn't be surprised if he gets a double. I'm banging on him, Moses, and Gutho all to have big games. And, uh, and Paulo should carve that Sharks pack up in the middle as well. Paulo's been playing almost 60 minutes a game, Wilfred. Uh, obviously, uh, a low, lowish break even as well. He's a great trade-in for this week as well, I reckon. Yeah, look, I think, you know, it's, it was flagged in the preseason. He might play 65, 70 minutes, and I was skeptical. But if he's starting off playing 60 or close to it, I, mean, I think it was 59 and 58 so far, like there's every chance he does build and hits that 65 mark and, you know, the odd game where he does play 70 if there's injuries and things like that. So I think it's a great option, yeah. I'd love to go, if I was just playing head-to-head and I really needed to jag a win, I'd love to throw the C on, on Gutherson this week. I can see a Gutherson 100 looming. Look, I think, you know, he, he was probably a little bit disappointing against the Broncos in round one, honestly. Yeah. Uh, I, I mean, I, I had to start with Gutho. Well, sorry, no, I didn't have to start with Gutho. I had to not start with Teddy. Uh, this, that's part of this um, entry into this top sport charity league I'm in. So my stipulation was no Teddy, and I had to have Milford in my team for round one. So did both of those, still got Milford, and Gutho became Teddy round two. But uh, so I was disappointed when he only scored 75 against my Broncos. <laughs> uh, so look, I, I'd hope that um, yeah, he's he's able to obviously. Um, I mean, he had a great game last week, but most of it was in defense. So hopefully, it clicks a bit more in attack. I, I still think there's some teething issues uh, for the power attack, and you know the the half is still getting used to playing on opposite sides of what they're used to. Um, to to go back a little bit, my concern with the matter decoys is because Guthrie likes going left so often 
that I think often matters running the decoy line and then uh, Moses throws it out the back to Gutho. So yep. that's the issue I've got there. Um, that, that obviously cuts into a little bit of matters, um, you know, his, his involvement, uh, and it blunts a little bit of his attacking upside too. But, um, yeah, look, I wouldn't be surprised if Gutho turns up. Absolutely. Yeah, I think he's going to get pretty close to it. The next game is the Knights versus Tigers, second last one in the round, and the Knights have got Kurt Moon back. So that's going to be interesting. Um, also, Connor Watson still named at lock. First two rounds, Wilfred, Connor Watson has obviously been named at lock and gone back to the bench. He still played okay minutes, maybe the same sort of minutes that he would have got starting. Um, so it's not the end of the world, but I am someone, like a lot of teams, that has to start Watson at the moment because I'm not going to start you know, a Little or a Moylan every week, um, whether you got him at 5'8 or you got him at hooker. So, I mean, is that the sort of trade that you should be looking at because I know a lot of people are getting rid of Moylan. That stops you having to play Watson every week at six at the moment. But in saying that, he's still averaging 51 minutes a game. He's still averaging 57 points a game. So he's still going okay. Are you comfortable just to keep starting him? I mean, especially against the Tigers this week, I think that it's fine if he gets benched. I just feel his minutes are just, they're only going one direction. It's going to go up as he gets that match fitness back. I know a lot of the reservation for the Knights was just to make sure they don't push him too hard coming back from his Achilles injury. So uh, there were a few in the preseason, there was some chat that he was still feeling a bit of tightness at times. So I think they've just, they've just been really cautious with him. Uh, I can't, I haven't noticed any particular concerns aside from, I mean, he grabbed his ankle a few times in round one. I uh, didn't really see it in round two. So I wonder if it's just, yeah, it's getting better and better each week. I mean, even if you don't have Watson as your starter, I think most people are starting him in your 17. I made the mistake of not doing that last week, and I probably won't again. <laughs> so Yeah, but uh, he updated from 39 points to 61. Like That looked like it was going to be a shit score. I mean, the, the thing is, they shouldn't have missed that line break assist and the try contribution, right? So he should have really always finished on, at the very least, 50-plus. So, like, I think to... Yeah, like, it, it looked a lot worse from the update, but they probably just missed that attacking stat. And, you know, I can imagine sometimes maybe they just look away for a while and they don't have time because they're going to keep scoring live, so they don't have time to immediately rewind and look at what they missed. So, you know, sometimes that's probably what it is and they just don't get to do it live and it's it's left to reviews to pick up the additional stats there. So I know it sounds very amateurish, but, you know, we've, we've dealt with this in the past, haven't we? <laughs> yeah, 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 we have. Um the Tigers have actually gotten rid of BJ Leilua, which is about time. Um, and the returning of James Roberts comes in. But the big big, big news for super coaches is Joe O was a pretty popular guy. I was not on the Joe O bandwagon. I'm thankful for that. I said that we didn't see enough of him and he's been dirt in the past. I know that five years ago you were a fan and then you hated him and then you sort of become a bit of a fan again. But... Played 48 minutes last week, which is more than round one, and scored a big 35 points with 33 base. Uh, that's pretty poor. Back on the bench this week, right in time for the price rises and changes. Uh, he's. I, I was really against having him at all. Uh, hopefully people waited, but there's a lot of people that didn't wait for him. He's coming into this game as a bench forward now. He might end up still playing, you know, 40-ish minutes, but would you just cut bait and just get rid of him? Yeah, look, um, I'm one of those suckers who got sucked in again. <laughs> of course you um, did. Oh, uh, no. Old no. boys Broncos club. Oh, uh, look, he, 
I mean, I was glad he left, and I just thought round one, it, it you know, he'd been talking the right talk in preseason, and it finally looked like what I saw in round one was backing up what he was saying, and it, I, I just thought he was going to build on it instead of going backwards. So I really, I just, I, I blame, I blame the Roosters. You know, they're, they're the ones who've done us too. <laughs> uh, I, I mean, it's yeah, it's obviously really disappointing. I don't have any issues cutting bait. I mean, you, you were hoping to just get some usable points out of him. Uh, I'll just have to, you know, go with someone else in my 17 this week. I'm not going to play him. And you know, I, I, I think I'll be able to free up some cash to be able to upgrade him uh, to a better option sooner rather than later. So. Yeah, I, I sucked, I got sucked in, so I'm disappointed in, in myself for that. Uh, so yeah, no issues with people cutting bait, that's for sure. Yeah, I mean, there could be a meme coming out pretty soon that, um, the Roosters finished and retired the Leilua brothers as well, because that might be the end of them after last week. They were absolutely awful. Uh, it wouldn't surprise me if Joey's gone for a long time. And even like Paul Kent said on NRL 360, you could end up very well in England and not even get another NRL team interested. I don't think that's far off the mark. And that goes into Supercoach with this Knights side. The the Knights attacking players, um, obviously Mitchell Pearce is a bit less owned. I've got him in draft and I'm going to be putting him into my side because I've got Cleary as my first half back. So for draft, that works out a treat. But for classic, you know, guys like... Connor Watson could absolutely carve this, but the Dark Horse Big Balls pod captaincy option. How about the goal kicker, Barnett? Look, I don't hate it at all. I think he's a, a genuine option. Um, if, if you know you wanted to save Vice Captain Teddy, just so you still have that little blanket uh, in case he does go for 150 plus, you can still captain him. Uh, or, I mean, loop him rather. Uh, but look, Barnett, you know, with that strong base and, you know, if he kicks seven, eight goals here and scores a try himself, he's gone 120 plus. So yeah, I don't hate it at all. Yeah. It could be a real, a real difference maker this week to go something like that. Um, you expect the Tigers to probably bounce back, but they're not playing at home and they've got a couple of changes there. And, you know, it's that Luciano edge is still not going to be very good. The Cowboys versus Titans is the final game of the round. Uh, Kyle felt suspended. And for the Titans, Ash Taylor is out with a hand injury, uh, replaced by Tanner Boyd. Jamal Fogarty. Now, you mentioned that you've talked about him in the preseason. So did I. I actually quite liked him at 430k as a, a secondary option. Uh, Big Ball's pod one, because no one was going to jump on him. But he's ended up being pretty good. Um, he showed signs averaging the second half of last year around 62 points a game. And he's doing well again. Now, he's another one of those options that you could throw into half instead of a Ben Hunt or something. He's only averaged 45 points the first two rounds. But in saying that, playing the Cowboys is a pretty good matchup. And Ash Taylor's gone. You'd expect him to kind of take charge a little bit as well. And he's going to be goal-kicking too. So if they can get some points on the board, it's going to be good for him. Uh, 430k, Wilfred. Do you think that he might be a viable option? I mean, certainly if you've got him, you're going to be playing him with confidence this week. Yeah, look, um, as as an owner, I'm certainly hoping he can replicate what Ben Hunt did from the right side half position last week. But I, I'm not as confident in the goal kicking. Tanner Boyd is actually a really good goal kicker. Apparently, he's been um, you know leading all the goal kicking uh, sessions for the Titans. So that's a little bit of a worry for me that uh, he might kick while he's in for Taylor. So yeah, look, I probably wouldn't trade him in. If but if you own him, obviously you're happy and hopefully rise, uh, you know, ride a few couple of prize rises while you can. Um, but yeah, I mean his base is a little bit down from what it was last year, so that's a little disappointing. Um, I felt like he wasn't that involved last week, and I don't know whether it's just because they were going 
going left a lot so they can target that Broncos right edge. So hopefully, um, you know, the, the Cowboys left edge has been pretty gross. So hopefully, uh, yeah, the, the, the Titans will go down that way this time. So he, he might be a bit more involved. Fingers crossed. The other two big talking points for this side are going to be Fafida and Tino. Now, opposite ends of elation and disappointment, Tino had a pretty poor outing and really it's he's shown the reasons why I didn't really buy into getting him for round one and I'm glad that I didn't. He's averaging 53 points a game across his first two games and 59 minutes a game. Um, that's pretty close to what he's probably going to be, I think. Now, 53 minutes he only played against the Broncos, which is concerning when he played a full 65 against the Warriors. Uh, 46 points in round two versus the Broncos was terrible. I have seen a lot of people um, maybe not having enough cash to be trading other players to the guns that they want to get. Uh, maybe if you want to take a punt on a, a TPJ or you want to get a Paulo in if you've got Tino at front row forward and so forth, you're having to use a Tino. I don't hate that at all, but I'm someone, Wilfred, that wasn't big on Tino to start with. I think that he's going to be solid but not spectacular. Um, but how do you stand on, on giving up on Tino this early? Uh, I'd probably lean against it. I think part of his score was, I mean, he spent, you know, most of the second half uh, playing on the edge when Fafita went off for his HIA. So I think that's, I mean, the scoreline probably is the reason why he didn't play as many minutes either. Um, so I just kind of feel, I uh, wonder if, you know, maybe that they're just managing him. They know he's going to be really important for them late in the season. Uh, to me, uh, what I saw in round one is that he's going to have a sizable role in the middle um, most weeks. So where I think, you know, he probably would have gotten a couple more minutes if it wasn't for the fact that it was a HIA sub right at the end where I think Fafita came back right at the end. So I like, I don't hate selling Tino, but I kind of feel it's too early to give up on him. Honestly, I think, um, you know, if he's going to get 60, 65 minutes in the middle uh, I honestly think he could um, score quite well most weeks. So, yeah, it's, I think you probably can tell I'm really uncertain on it. Uh, I think most likely, I think he's going to go much better than what he did this week. Uh, I think what we saw on the field, he was he had a really good game. Uh, yeah, I think he'll probably score 60. Um, but, I mean, I guess the problem for me, not selling him, and I don't, I don't have him, but if I did, is it? You know, you've got the ceiling of these other guys just sitting there that you can grab onto quickly. And one of them is David Fafida, his teammate. And Fafida, obviously, is coming up 105 points. And he ended up... Like, he scored two tries, but he ended up playing 65 minutes as well because of his HIA at the end. And he scored 60 points in round one in his 71 minutes. Against the Cowboys' edge, like, you can sit there and go, well, he could score a double again here. And I could go Tino to David Fafida and I could make an extra 40, 50 points pretty easily. It could happen. Uh, I could also see Tino just going straight through the middle. <laughs> <laughs> the, the Cowboys in the past have always had issues um, giving up, you know, tri- um, tries to, to middle forwards and also hookers. So to me, I kind of feel, I mean, honestly, they could score points all over the park. But, yeah, I, it seems really sideways to go Tino to Fafita. That's, that's the gut feel I have. Um, when there's every chance that Tino could score one of the tries this week instead of Fafita, that makes sense. Um, you know, you wonder last week there was obviously extra motivation. There's no no surprises that uh, Jared Wallace as well as Fafita were the ones scoring tries against the Broncos. So I wonder if you know, with no real um, narrative this week, uh, whether they just play more normal. 
Yeah, I mean, they did a very good job of isolating Fafita on, on defenders on that edge. Um, and you would know that because he ran over Milford twice. But um, if they do that again, you know, the, the Cowboys' edge as well, they could re- isolate him very well and he could go over for a try for sure. I, Fafita's on my short list of guys that I'm considering this week. Like, if I let Angus go for a week, you know, I could get Fafita and Paulo in very easily for, like, you know, Leota and, and a Madison and have some change. And I'm heavily considering um, going that route just because of this Cowboys matchup. Um, one of the things that scares me a little bit with Fafita Wilfred is obviously his base. Only a 39 base last week in his 65 minutes, um, which is pretty average. Do you? Uh, but you, you're one of the proponent. You're one of the supporters of him making that up with his tackle breaks and everything else. So, um, do you think that he's, you know, going to be a 570k investment that people are going to be able to get in and just keep from this round onwards? I think you just got to accept he's going to have those highs and lows. I, I think most weeks. I mean, every now and then he'll drop you a 40, 45 score, but, you know, he'll make that up when he scores 120, uh, when he scores a double and plays the full 80 sometimes. So, I, I yeah, look, the, probably the other thing is that he's not going to have Ash Taylor this week, so he'll have to adjust to playing with Tanner Boyd, which might not be too bad, given that they used to be in the Broncos together as well. Um, but, yeah, I, I kind of, that to me throws off enough question marks to think, well, there's still plenty of other good options. And, you know, at the end of it, you're never going to go wrong getting Angus in. So that's where I'd kind of lean, I suppose. Yep. Fair call. Uh, top sport bet of the week for this one. Now, you can get the uh, Gold Coast Titans for $1.55. Not huge odds, but better than you're going to get on any other bookmaker at the moment. And I think the Titans are specials to win this one. Even with Ash Taylor out, Tanner Boyd's a pretty good player. And the Cowboys look like they're in quite a bit of strife. Um, and Peyton looks like he's running out of, out of ideas. So I like that one. Uh, Wilfred, that is the round for round three. Thanks for jumping back on the podcast. Always a pleasure to have you. Uh, always good to, like I said, always enjoy coming on, chatting footy and Supercoach with you, mate. Cheers, mate. Well, everyone out there, if you're not listening to the Supercoach Champions podcast, make sure you get on there so you can hear Wilfred, Bear and Joe. And uh, also make sure that you do download, stream and subscribe to our podcast, the Supercoach All-Stars podcast. You can do that on Spotify, SoundCloud and iTunes. Also follow us on NRL underscore SC underscore All-Stars. Good luck with your trades this week. It's going to be a big round with all the price changes hitting next week. We're going to have a super podcast next week with another guest on. Till then, good luck and may all your captaincy options score 150.